Welcome to the Become Revolutionary Show, where we pull back the curtain and talk to successful entrepreneurs and industry leaders about their journey to success, the process of entrepreneurship, and the adversity they've encountered along the way. With your hosts, Charlene and Noel, and their amazing guests from all over the globe, you will feel right at home and part of the entrepreneurial tribe while hearing about the ups, downs, curves, and missteps in these stories and how it all ultimately contributes to success in business and life. Join us now as entrepreneurs support other entrepreneurs. Stronger together, further, faster. Welcome to the Become Revolutionary show, where we talk to you about how to get over those hurdles to become revolutionary in life and business. We're your hosts, Noelle and Charlene, and today's topic is all about breaking free from prison. That's right. I said it. We're breaking free from prison today. <laughs> do we do? I think we just got to put on a list somewhere that the government's going to be watching us now because there's a podcast on how to break free from prison. Way, way to go, guys. <laughs> Now I can't fly out of the country anymore. All of a sudden there's weird dudes and sedans sitting outside my house. Thanks. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me introduce our guest today. Jason J. Uh, J.G. Goldberg is a mental performance and leadership coach for celebrities, change makers, and CEOs. He's also the host of the Jason Goldberg is ruining podcasting podcast author of the number one international bestseller on self-leadership entitled Prison Break and creator of the Playful Prosperity and Competition Proof Business Immersion Programs. Jason's been a featured expert on media outlets, including ABC, CBS, and Fox, as well as teaching on Mind Valley and Soul Pancake platforms. And he's founded multiple startups, including in partnership with NASA and the Space Shuttle Program. Wow, that's incredible. It's all fake. <laughs> You've only done a few things, or a few hats. He now focuses on blending his signature mix of simple and transformational wisdom, captivating storytelling, practical business mentorship, and belly-busting humor, for sure, to make personal growth less personal growthy, and to leave everyone he meets with at least 5% more joy than when he found them. What a blessing. As a sought what, after. What a mission. That's amazing. More <laughs> joy in such a dark time. Let's go. I'm Let's eager. Go. We need yeah. it. We need as many joy junkies and hope dealers as we can right now. We really do. We really do. So let's just jump into the conversation today. We are so grateful and honored and blessed to have you here. We really want to shine light in that darkness, that chaos, that confusion that the world has right now. And that's just exactly what you do. And you've written a book that really speaks to that. And we're really hoping to dive deep on A, what inspired you to get this going to begin with? And tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I was born to a, a single mother. I'm an only child, single Jewish mother. Single so she can hear everything we're saying in, in Florida right now. Yeah. Yeah. Are you another, are you single mom? I'm a single mom. Yeah. Yo, respect. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know if I was just a total little schmuck, but as a, as a single, like just respect, like, I don't, I don't know how you do it. Uh, so, uh, so that means you have the hustle gene in you. Like you're just going to make it work no matter what. Like, I just, yeah. I love that. And my mom was the exact same way. Yeah. And, and, you know, and with that, like with her, she's super hard worker. You know, we, we, we never really had a lot of money, but she like always made things work. And, and, you know, I always had what I needed. Uh, and 
because of the way she was raised, she was raised very much in this kind of uh, victim perspective, right? And, and just being what I what I now call being a prisoner of circumstance, right? That your your happiness and your sadness is dictated by all outside circumstantial things. And so just like any household that you're raised in with a certain language, you learn to speak that language that becomes you become fluent in that language. And so from a very early age, I became fluent in victim. Uh, I, I was bilingual, I had English and victim. So those were kind of my two my two languages they spoke. And so even though I was, you know, very much the class clown, the jokey center of attention. I, I know you would never guess any of that from these first few minutes, but, uh, but, but even though I had all that going on, I also was suffering a lot silently. In fact, the, the, the humor was a way for me to kind of mask the, the pain that I was feeling. Um, I, I was very, I, I was chubby from a very young age. I was kind of the fat kid by the time I was in, in elementary school. Uh, by the time I was in high school at 15, I was 250 pounds, uh, which, you know, 15 is when kids are really loving and accepting and never judge you based on your appearance. So that was always fun. And, uh, and so it just got to this point where as I got older and older, not only did I continue to put on more and more physical weight, but there was all this emotional weight that was also being carried around just tons of, of sadness and anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation into my late twenties and being on antidepressants from the time I was around 15 years old, they put me on these things. And wow. it, just, it was just so interesting. And that's a whole other story about, you know, mm-hmm. with pharmaceuticals, but, but that, that was what they did. And, and so it, it really wasn't until my very late twenties, uh, where I got into tech technology very early. I was an IT consulting for the better part of 15 years, uh, last seven years, director of engineering and operations for an IT consulting firm. And it was while I was there, uh, doing great financially and professionally, you know, youngest director uh, in the history of the company, making well over six figures in my mid twenties, uh, doing, you know, challenging work, having a whole team of engineers that, that were, that I was working with. And I was the most depressed I had ever been. I was 332 pounds by this point. Uh, and even though I had all these kind of circumstantial things that should have made me happy, uh, I was miserable. And it wasn't until this day, and I wrote about this in the, in the first chapter of Prison Break, it wasn't until this, this particular day in 2009 where I finally got the wake-up call that it wasn't you know, my genetics that were the problem, and it wasn't my, my family issues that were the problem, and it wasn't that I didn't have a father that was the problem, it wasn't my employees or my boss or my client, it wasn't any of those things. It was just a lack of personal responsibility and a lack of true understanding about how life works that had me in this place. And so that was where kind of the, the, the quest started for me to figure mm-hmm. out, well, like, Hey, there are people I know who have been through objectively way worse things than I have, and they don't seem to be suffering as much as I'm suffering. What do they know that I don't know? Mm-hmm. And that started the kind of reverse engineering seeking process of being on this personal growth journey. And that's been, you know, I guess 13 years now since I started that journey. Wow. So cool. And I want to hear like how you're helping people. And I want to hear more about the book, but like the first question that popped into my head was who are some of those people that you suddenly, like when you started researching, like, Oh, wow, there are people out there. I'm just curious, like who are some of those people, um, that, that you first started following or, or being inspired by? Yeah. I, I was taking in everything. Like I was just asking people like, what are you reading? Like anybody who was into personal growth at all, I was like, I don't know anything about it. I don't know who I should be looking at, but like, what are you reading? First book I read first personal growth book I read was think and grow rich. Uh, and, and I, I did not enjoy the book. I hated the book. Uh, and the reason was, is that, and this just shows, it shows the mentality that I had and it shows 
and I know I'm not alone, like it shows kind of how we're raised is that the reason I hated think and grow rich is because throughout the entire book, he keeps saying things in the realm of like, um, by now you've probably uncovered the secret that I've been telling you that. And I'm just like, what, just tell me this. Like, why are you pointing to just tell me the secret? (laughs) And, 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 And the secret was that our, in a way, our thoughts create our reality. Right. But I, I was so detached from the idea that, that thoughts, were not reality. What do you mean my thoughts create reality? Like circumstantially, that person cut me off in traffic. That client is too demanding. That employee of mine is a complete moron and I should fire him. Like, what do you mean my thoughts are creating my reality? Reality creates my reality. And so I was totally turned off by this book. Of course, as I continued to go down the path, I, I started to open up more to this idea and, uh, and then things started to change. Wow. Right. And, and that's kind of like, like on the- sorry, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, and that's a big jump. I'm gonna go for it. I'm jumping it. <laughs> How long have you been married to each other? Is this uh is this a new we are like we are like a married couple? Yeah, I want I want to dive in on that because this is a huge conversation right there because it will help you understand the difference of what success really looks like for you is understanding those thoughts and that thoughts are there. Yeah, it's. It's one thing to say that, you know, like you just change your thoughts. Like it's not really that easy at all. How often do you guys have a negative thought? I went to this one, uh, one professional this one time and he did this, I think it was called biofeedback where he measured my brain waves. I was having a negative thought guys every three seconds. It was crazy. And I, but unaware of it. And I'm like, how are you even able to measure that? So that made me really curious on this journey of trying to understand how thoughts evoke emotions and the emotion evokes an act and a behavior and then you create patterns and habits from there i'm like i don't want to i don't want to be suffering mm-hmm. unconsciously from this so how do you help people do you help people in your practice catch those thoughts have an awareness about it on the front end because if you're not even aware of it how can you catch it to begin with right and and, and the thing is is that the the awareness the awareness piece is not as difficult as we would think it is when we approach it from this other perspective it's that the, the anytime i'm feeling anything less than joyful or peaceful yeah. that's the sign that there's something in my thoughts that's causing that experience wow so you don't have to even catch the thought you can catch how you just feel as a human and that's what much easier, right? It's, it's very often, very, very seldom rather that if, if somebody is stressed out and you say to them, Hey, you look stressed out. They go, really? I don't feel stressed out at all. No, they're like, yeah, I'm fucking stressed out. I mean, you're, you're real perceptive there. I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, we, we know we can tell when other people are stressed out. We can definitely tell when we're stressed out. That is the, that is the little indicator on the dashboard of your consciousness that you're low on something, right? In the same way, your car has a little light that comes on when you're low on fuel and, and, and the beautiful thing about that light, first of all, is number one, I don't know if you've ever had a different experience, but for me, I've been driving since I was 16 ish years old. I have never had a car in all of the years that I've been driving that when the light came on on the dashboard saying I was low on gas, that I got mad at the car, you stupid car. What do you mean? You need more. I just put gas in you two weeks ago. How dare you tell me that you need more gas? You are a piece of crap. You are a loser. I should have never bought you, but that's the way we talk to ourselves when we have our body telling us that something's off instead of saying like, Oh, thank you for the early warning. Right. Because on the car, when the light flashes, it doesn't flash when you're out of gas. 
It flashes when you have 40 miles left in the tank. So you have plenty of time to safely and gently guide yourself into a gas station and refuel the tank. The same thing can happen here. So when we start feeling the stress in our body, let's use that as an early detection system that says, hey, something's off. And I'm telling you early that something's off. Let's slow down and check in with that. Wow. If you don't say anything else for the rest of this show, like that, that was like a real thing that's going to stay with me. Yeah. That is going to stay with me forever. So thank you, Jason. And I hope that that um, stands out to someone else as well. Yeah. We, we need to, we need to understand those indicators in our own body. And I think the older I get, the more I'm aware of those indicators. Um, but we need to really adhere to them, don't we, before we burn out or before we hit empty and end up on the side of the road with no gas. And, and isn't an endurance a part of that conversation too? Because it's really easy, especially as entrepreneurs, to go full tilt pushing hard and then you burn out, but you really got to build that endurance. So you're paced early enough. So you can catch it to begin with. Absolutely. Yeah. And and there's, and for the people that may be watching this or or listening to this and, and I I had, I had an issue with this, with my, with my weight issues and, and being, you know, overweight my entire life until I was basically 30, 31 years old is I very purposefully disconnected myself from my body. Like I, I lived here. Like I'm, I'm not trying to vote, by the way. I, I lived like I lived here. I was, just, I was just living in between my ears, right? It was yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's very, very Madonna of us. Uh, and 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 there was just like I wasn't connected to anything from the neck down. So when people would say to me like, "Oh, where do you feel that in your body?" I'm like, "What are you talking about? Like I don't feel. I don't. I'm just, my head just feels like it's spinning out of control." And so the first thing here is is if you're one of those people who doesn't really feel a connection to your body, first of all, I feel you 100 percent because I know what that was like. And, and the first thing I would say is start doing practices to get back in your body. It could be as easy as going on walks or, or working out or whatever it is, or, or just doing things that there's a lot of somatic exercises. If you look online for like somatic exercises, you can do uh, progressive muscle tension, uh, little things. It'll take you five minutes. If you, if you Google progressive muscle tension exercise, it's like a five minute thing on YouTube. There's tons of people that have done them. So for anybody who's in that place where they don't really feel a connection to their body, try that first and then start listening to those sensations going forward. That's so great. So you started reading things like Think and Grow Rich, and then you read some more. What began to transform? Like, what was that pivotal moment? So you started to learn, you started to say, like, I'm, I'm not going to be the victim anymore, right? Like, there was that kind of moment for you. And now you're helping other people. But what happened in those next couple of chapters? Like, what happened um, in that transformation? It was magic. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so, so it, <laughs> it was that golden ticket that I keep. It was the golden ticket. I mean, just, <laughs> just, just take this pill or read this book and your life changes. Uh, right. That, that's and that's why I, I say my book is not an instruction manual. It's a destruction manual, right? Mm-hmm. It's about breaking down the, the the elements of what we think, the way we think life works, to see how life really works. And so the reason I say that is because it actually was magic in a way, but it was magic in the way that that James Altucher talks about. I don't know if you know who James Altucher is amazing, amazing guy. He works a lot in the finance world, but just says some really profound things. And one of the things that uh, that he talks about is that to the outside world. Uh, what looks like magic is actually immersion, right? Mm. So if you look at people who have like, oh man, that person has just magically created this business or this person, everything they touch just turns to gold. 
That's BS, right? They have typically immersed themselves and there's a lot of other factors, but they have typically immersed themselves in that thing. And so for me, once I started feeling the transformation and I'll say that the pivotal teacher for me was somebody who I'm I'm now blessed to say as a friend and a co-creator and everything else is a guy named Steve Chandler. And Steve Chandler is somebody who has fundamentally just changed the entire way that I see, see life. And he was the first one to really help me to understand this whole kind of victim mentality that I was in and that there was another choice in how I could live my life. And so the more I immersed myself in working with him directly and being coached by him and, and you know, reading his books and, and then getting turned on to other teachers who were also fundamental and, and pivotal in my growth, people like Byron Katie and, and, and just all these people that really helped me to look inside at my experience of life and where it actually comes from, that's what eventually guided me into number one, looking back to when I was a kid and going through all my weight issues and feeling disconnected and not being, you know, getting picked on and all these things. I realized that bringing humor into the mix allowed me to feel connection and bringing empathy for people into the mix allowed me to feel connection. So these were things that I cultivated as a young person, humor and empathy that now are the the guiding principles for the work that I do in the world. So it was actually kind of an interesting full circle moment that my essence as a kid was reactivated once I had somebody supporting me at that deep level. And it showed me like, Oh, in a way, this is kind of what I've always been doing. And with the right skill set and right mindset, I could actually help a lot of people do the same. Wow. Wow. What a rich conversation. This is so good. Noelle and I were actually just talking about Byron Katie the other day. Um, I love her her work called The Work for those yeah, of you. Work, yeah. <laughs> for those of you who aren't familiar with it, and she brings you through the forgiveness cycle through a four-step process. And it's really incredible. I love it when it flips it on you and you have to take a really good look at yourself. And that's really what it is. So yeah. in light of all of this, what do you feel is the biggest um, lesson? that came out of all of this for you, you know, at the, at this season in your journey, because I believe there's big pivotal lessons that come at different stages. But at this point, what is that for you looking back? Mm. Yeah, it's, you know, one of the messages that, that really is sticking with me right now, and you could ask me this again in an hour or a week and it would be different. Uh, but, but one of the ones right now is, I I just, I had this, this download a few months ago and it's resurfaced for me now is about not trivializing your gifts like that. That's such, it's such a big thing. And I don't mean that from a, there's a way to take that, that could kind of be seen as uh, self-serving and self-centered. Like, you know, everybody has an amazing gift and everybody's gift needs to be enacted in the world and all that stuff. And, And that's true too. But what I mean more is that there are gifts that we have and then we trivialize them by worrying about what the perfect business model is for that. How do we scale that thing? Um, why isn't it happening fast enough? And every time we do that, imagine that we were literally given this gift from some higher power, whatever your belief is. It could be spirit, the universe, God. It could be some really cool little salamander that you think is, is a <laughs> I don't care who it came from, but, but imagine you receive this, this powerful gift. Maybe it's humor. Maybe it's empathy. Maybe it's you know connectedness. Maybe it's compassion, whatever it is. And you're sitting there with this masterful gift that could change the world. And all you're thinking about is why isn't my newsletter list growing faster? Why haven't more people watched my Facebook live? Like who gives a crap? Like none of that crap matters. And I'm talking to myself too. I still go through all this crap all the time because I'm a human being and my ego gets involved. But, but the more I've realized that trivializing my gifts is a, is a show of arrogance to the universe. 
Mm. Right. I'm, I'm saying like big middle finger to the universe by trivializing my gifts. When I bring more humility into the mix, how can I possibly know how fast this is supposed to happen? How can I possibly know how this is supposed to unfold? How can I possibly think this is all on me and there's not something else at play, whether it's people I can see on this plane or people I can't see on a different plane. When I bring more humility into the mix there, my experience of life is just better. And I actually perform better as well. Yes. And this is like not the Byron Katie show or anything, but why Charlene and I were talking about her the other day was the whole idea of like minding your own business. I heard Oprah interviewing her and she was talking about mind your business. And I think that's exactly what you're hitting on is like, mind your gifts, like, like take care of what you've been given and bring that into the world. But when we start deviating, like, Oh, I wish that I was more like that person. Or I wish that my business grew as fast as that person. It, it's really, it lends as a distraction from what we've actually been um, given as a purpose here, I believe. So yeah. um, that's kind of what we were talking about. And I, I'm really happy you touched on that because I think, yeah. I think it's really easy to have that deviation and that distraction because of this whole idea that people are, are, are selling you sort of the, you know, like, I, I can make your business better come with me. And you know what? I'm not, I'm not turning those people down at all because I believe that industry leaders are effective for people at the right time. But for our listeners today, I just want to kind of preach that you have to find the right person that's going to help you um, enhance those gifts that you've already been given and, and not just jump at the next thing, jump at the next thing. Charlene and I have had a lot of clients that have been a part of a lot of different programs yep. and, you know, we're all guilty of it, trying to find the thing that's going to help us be successful in our business or as entrepreneurs. It's nice to feel part of a community, but I think it's really important to stay grounded in what you've been given um, so that you can hone that and, and find the right mentor in that. It's not going to be every mentor. It's going to be a mentor or two or three yeah. as your chapters continue, you know, but I, I really love the idea of minding your own business. And that has helped my thought process ever since I've heard her say that was yeah. sort of like, as, as I start having those negative thoughts, it's, or, Oh, maybe we, Charlene and I should be doing this, or maybe we should be doing that. It just comes back. Mind your own business. You know, and I just, I love that. It's like a kind of a quick mantra a little bit. Well, and doesn't that, doesn't that also, wouldn't you agree, Jason? And I'd love to hear your, your insight on this. Cause that can start spinning you on that one degree out of alignment of what you're supposed to be doing too, listening to everybody else's ideas about what you should or should not be doing in your business. And it's taking away from your internal intuition and your, your personal GPS and understanding what path is right for you. I believe we're meant to learn and grow from different people that are put on our path and they're meant to serve as guides to give us another key. It may be one more thing that we can add in as the time is right. Um, or to use as we see fit, but it may not be in the prescription that they're dosing us to. I believe we've got our own model that we're wired with. And if we just can be quiet enough and tune into that, then our compass will guide us in the right direction. But man, if you get off course, it takes a lot of effort to get back and figure it out, yeah. which kind of leads me to a follow-up question is for those people that are stuck and maybe did get like distracted, they started off right. They were like, I know what my gift is. I'm going to go for it. They built this business model. All of a sudden they're spinning in this other direction. They're like, how do I find my way back to myself again? Was that really my gift? Like, how do you help them? Do, do you help people 
discover their gifts and what ideas do you have to help them if they're just feeling lost right now? Yeah. So, so a few things in there. So, so the first thing is, I, I think you, you nailed it when you were talking about the alignment piece, it's, it's so huge. They, they, there was a documentary I watched uh, where they were digging into all the different diets you could do, right? Like there's the Mediterranean diet and South beach and keto and all, all the different, you know, there's probably a, a shark milk diet that's here in Venice in California somewhere, but there's all these like weird diets and they were trying to figure out which is the best diet. And what they came to realize at the end of their, their research is that the best diet is the one you'll actually stick with. <laughs> right. They can all work, but it has to be one you'll actually stick with. And so the, the challenge becomes that a lot of people, uh, myself included at times have invested in things that weren't actually in alignment. And we were willing to, in that moment, sacrifice what we know to be true in the way that we know we work best because somebody else must know something we don't know that's better than what we could possibly be doing. And, and, and we forego uh, and, and ignore potential red flags right up front. We say, oh, well, you know, the way they do that really feels out of alignment for me, but it's probably fine. It's, I'm sure the rest of it will be in alignment. And it's like, no, you, you got to listen to that stuff. And, there, and there's a big difference between out of alignment and foreign. A lot of people will say, oh no, you know, I, I, I can't do, I can't do an Instagram live because that that's out of alignment. So you've tried it and it, and, and after doing it several times, it feels like it's not really your highest level of contribution. Well, no, no, no. I've never actually tried it, but I just know that it's out of alignment. Okay. Well, to me, that just sounds like it's foreign. You've just never done it before. Right. It's possible that it is out of alignment, but you won't know until you actually do it. So, so that's always a balance, but it really is so important to, to listen to ourselves. And this goes into your second part about like, what do you do if you feel lost is to listen to yourself because every time we invest in something that ends up not being in alignment. And we know that we went against our, our own internal compass by doing so we start to erode our self-trust. And when we erode our self-trust, then as other things happen in the future that we need to do in our business or our families or our lives in general, we start second guessing whether or not we can trust what we think we need to be doing. And so it's so important to have the level of self-awareness first. I believe self-trust comes from self-awareness. Uh, if you're super aware of, of what you most need, then when you make a decision about what's going to fulfill that need, you trust that you trust that decision. If you aren't exactly sure what you need, if you aren't sure you're not aware of what is actually going to be best for you, then you make a decision. You're not sure if you can trust it because you made the decision without knowing exactly what it is you need. So this is such a perfect opportunity. If you feel that way, if you feel stuck is to come back home is to slow everything down is to stop adding and start subtracting. Uh, don't add more knowledge to knowledge. Don't sign up for another list. Don't sign up to, you know, follow a bunch of, of other people on, on Instagram, quiet the noise and go inward and ask your soul, like, what do you want me to know? What is it that I'm, I'm ignoring? What is it that I'm not seeing? And if all else fails, go take five grams of mushrooms and see what happens. <laughs> that because it's kind of uncomfortable for a couple of days like I know I've been there and actually just not too long ago a few months ago Charlene and I were there thankfully we're in business together and we were there together um so it was nice to have a friend to talk to but it was also like really uncomfortable you know and you lose a bit of sleep and you go through those negative so I'm wondering if like the uh, rat race or like the, the, you know, purchasing of, of the next thing, the next thing is really because we're afraid of looking at it. Um, 100%. Well, that, that's, yeah. That, that's why we distract ourselves all the time, but that's, yeah. that's why it's so important to have the conversation, the kind of meta conversation of, yeah. of what's causing that. Because if we, if the reason that we, that we meditate, the reason that we, um, 
uh, love being with, you know, people that we love and, and, and having that real deep connection and intimacy with, um, the reason that, uh, some people, uh, take drugs or drink or whatever it is and no judgment on any of this stuff is to get a separation between who you are and what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the entire, that, that's the benefit of all those things. You lose yourself, right. When you're in those activities in the best way possible. Yeah. Right. We, we lose the narcissism of, oh, my God, my life. Right. This is this, this whole notion. And this is something that I'm, I'm constantly exploring for myself, this whole notion of my life. Right. And when I'm focusing on my life, then I notice there are a lot of things that feel like a threat to my life, including my own thoughts. They feel like a threat to my life. But thoughts can never be a threat to my life right? To my actual life. And thoughts can never be a threat to life in general. If I were to zoom out and stop focusing so much on my life and what I think is a threat to my life and just focus on the, 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 the opportunity and the experience of being alive, then it's a much easier for me to get this separation between who I am and what I think. So the more I can do that, the more I can really recognize that, listen, if I look back in time from the time I was born to, to now, and, and I'm trying to figure out what's real, right? Because what's real is all that matters. Like if somebody went up to, if somebody went up to you right now, Noel, and said, uh, I hate your purple hair. Would you be upset about them saying, I hate your purple hair, knowing you don't have purple hair? No, no, because there's nothing in reality that, you know, for a fact, you don't have purple hair. And so even though there's the presence of a hateful thought, it doesn't seem to land for you because you know, it's not the truth, right? Right. So if we can do that same thing with all thoughts to recognize that thoughts are not instructions, thoughts are not punishment, thoughts are not truth, they're just thoughts, the more we can create that separation, then the presence of the thoughts can be there, but we don't attach to them. We don't make them overly significant. We don't take them seriously. And then our experience of life is lighter as a result. So good. In fact, I was just thinking if someone said, I hate your purple hair, I'd be like, oh, that person's not doing so well because my hair is <laughs> What are they thinking? But then I'd be like, but honestly, like, that's really what I should be thinking if someone came up and just said, I hate your hair. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, they're not doing so well because they're, they're coming at me like that, right? Well, and and more so than oh, that, if you're saying it to yourself. And if you're saying it to yourself, well, is that true or is it not true? And if it's not true, don't pick it up. Yeah. 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 And and so, and so when you, when you look at that and then you, you zoom out and you look at the entirety of your experience of being alive, there's only one thing that's been constant since you were born and it's not your body because your body has changed tremendously since you were born. I mean, I would hope so. I'd feel terrible for my mom if, if this version of me came out of her. So, so my God, poor woman is, couldn't walk ever again. So, so, so that, you know, th- th- my body has changed. My thoughts have definitely changed. I've had thoughts come and go and come and go and come and go. Emotions come and go, come and go, come and go. So none of that stuff has been constant, right? The one thing that's been constant is my ability to be aware of all of it right? Mm. Since the beginning of, of, of my own consciousness, and maybe I don't remember it as a baby, but since the beginning of consciousness, I was able to be aware of things. At some point I forgot, or I, I, I lost track that I was aware of my thoughts and started believing I was my thoughts, but how could I be my thoughts? Because if I was my thoughts, then either those thoughts would be constant. They would never change. They would always be here. 
Or if the thoughts were literally a part of who I was, then when a part, uh, when a thought left me, then a part of my body would go along with it. Like, okay, I'm really stressed out. Okay. The stress has gone away, but so has my right thumb. Like, they're, but they're not, they're not connected. Like the, the thoughts come and go that the body moves, the body changes. The awareness is the one thing that's constant. So the more I can sit back into this place of awareness, almost like imagine you're sitting in a movie theater and, and coming out of your eyes is a projection of all of your thoughts and your stresses and your fears. And they're all being up on the screen here. You as awareness is the person sitting directly behind you as the projection, just watching it all on the screen. Right. So that's, I can look right in front of me. Interesting illustration. The way I refer to that, or like maybe I heard Eckhart Tolle say this once or something is like the gap. Like there's a gap where you can like observe your thoughts. And so for me, I call that like if I'm journaling or something, I call that the space. I didn't, you know, you're calling it awareness. I call it the space, but the space from the place where, from which I can look at the thoughts, right? And and be detached from them, not be them. And so I, I love what you're saying. And it might sound pretty crazy to people, but I think Eckhart Tolle does this exercise where he like, he tells you to close your eyes and think of the, like the first thought that comes into your head, now observe that thought. Mm-hmm. And that is the space when you're looking at that thought, like that is the space um, from which we should be observing all of our thoughts because then we can react to them or not react to them in a more appropriate way than being the thought, right? And so this is all fairly new to me, I have to admit, like it was kind of an aha moment for me not that long ago. And and it's life-changing, it really is. And I, I thank you for like being out in the world and teaching people about this. So on that note, tell me more about your book. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the book, funny enough, I mean, I, I just, I was doing a, an interview yesterday and we were talking about how, you know, I, I wrote that book in 2016. And so, you know, it's been five years now, so almost six years uh, that since I, since I wrote or since it came out at least. And, uh, and it's just so interesting to see how my own transformation and depth has changed since then. Like the level of understanding I had then is different than the level of understanding that I had now. And, and the great thing about that is that it's, I can look back on that and see that it doesn't negate the validity of what's in the book because it was actually my understanding and my experience at that time. And it helped me move to where I am today. If somebody were to tell me today uh, for the very first time, the things that I'm telling you today, I wouldn't have been ready to hear it. It wouldn't have been, I would have had no basis for it. So, so that, that book to me is, has so many of the the foundational elements to really help you see the world in a different way. And it, it's, it's like going back to this, there's this old Vedantic uh, uh, story about uh, somebody walking through the desert and they come across a, a coiled up uh, poisonous snake and immediately they go into like anxiety and, and despair and, oh my God, I'm going to get bit by this snake and it, the poison's going to go through my system and I'm going to die here and nobody's going to know where I am and my body's going to rot and my family's going to find me six months from now. Like, they just go through the entire thing. And then upon closer inspection, they realize that it's actually a coiled up rope. Right. Right. And, and as soon as they saw that it's a coiled up rope, there's no more work to be done. There's no like, well, I need to schedule an appointment with my therapist to talk about my relationship with ropes. Like that just doesn't happen. Right. Once you see what's actually going on, it's much easier to be able to navigate life. And so the, the book for me was a way to really get people to understand the way the mind works. 
right? We, we don't, we don't get an instruction manual for this. No one's taught us this. There's no classes that I ever had in, in elementary, middle, high school, undergrad or grad school that had anything to do with any of this stuff. And so it makes sense that we would see the world in that way. But once we can open our eyes, once we can open the aperture on the lens of the camera to be able to take in more honesty, truth about what our experience is, it's very hard to unsee that once you've seen it. Yeah. Wow. So good. And I want to, I just want to say like, you guys, you have to get this book. <laughs> first of all, please go get the book. Where can they buy it first? And then I have a follow-up thought. Yeah, it's, uh, it's on Amazon. Uh, you can get the, uh, the audible version. I read there's the, of course, the Kindle version, the paperback version. Um, and, and, and if I didn't already, I'll give you guys a link that you can give to people to get a free copy. If they want a free copy of the book, I'll give you a link. And if they, if they're in the States, they can pay a couple bucks for shipping and handling, and get a paperback. Uh, but no matter where they are, they can get the audio or the digital one for free. That's right. And it's called prison break, right? Prison break. Yep. Prison exactly. break. Nothing to do with the TV show. I've had people come. I, was just, <laughs> I just spoke at an event in, uh, in Jordan in the middle East a couple of weeks ago. And a woman came up to me during one of the breaks and she's like, I have always been such a big fan of your show. And I'm like, which, which show is this? prison break? Like, Oh no, no, no. Nothing to do with, and nothing like, to do oh, with that. Forget it. I'm just going to autograph. It's fine. <laughs> oh my gosh. I think that's hilarious. Well, guys, go get the book. My follow-up question is this, and then we're going to go into a little fun little piece that we have on this show where Noelle's going to rapid-fire you some fun questions. and Just just all fun. All right, so my follow-up question to wrap up today is we really want to encourage people to lean into this boss. That is... There's a lot of resistance that will probably come with leaning into that pause for a number of reasons, but a practical one that comes up for a lot of people is I can't do that. I need to keep up with social media right now, because if I'm not online, I'm not present there. I'm not all over the place right now. Then I'm going to drop off. I'm going to get behind. And there's this FOMO thing that comes out. How do people, how can people lean into this pause give themselves this time to do that, give them that opportunity to hit the mute button for a minute on themselves without losing this momentum that they feel like they're already in because this new identity piece with them reconnecting with who they've become at this stage and making sure that they're realigned will only bring them up better. You know, it'll help them show up stronger moving forward, but how can they give themselves permission to do this? What ideas do you have around that? Yeah. So it's, it's a very, it's a super common thing, especially with people who are like, I've always been type a super ambitious, all those things. So 20, 2015, I think it was, uh, I was, I was really stressing out. Like I was having just this like uh, super crazy feelings of despair, uh, worried that I was going to, uh, I was going to run out of money and like that, uh, you know, this, these clients weren't signing up. And what if I invest this money in this thing and it doesn't pan out? I was just, I was so caught up in my thinking and, and, and even having these understandings, I was still just so caught up. And so I write this like three page letter to to my coach, to Steve Chandler. I write this, this long ass uh, email with all of my fears and all of my struggles and all of all these things. And I send it off to him and I'm like, okay, he's going to, he's going to come back and give me a whole plan and a whole framework. And he's going to solve all my problems for me. Cause that's what he's meant to be doing. And he emails me back about 20 or 30 minutes later with 10 words. It's all, I got 10 words. That's all I got in this email. And the 10 words were so much compassion for what you are putting yourself through. And that's, I, I got chills still thinking about it. That to me, to this day, is one of the most powerful pieces of coaching that I've ever experienced in my life. Oh, I got to do social media. And what, what if I don't do that? And I'm going to lose the momentum. Where's that pressure coming from? All internal. It's all me doing it to myself. 
So to have the reflection of like, man, I have so much compassion for what you are choosing to put yourself through to create a reality where you are this stressed out. And I softened when, when he sent that, I softened. It was, there was a little bit of like, oh, he's fucking with me. But then there was a bigger part of me that was like, oh, no, no, this is, this is a call for me to really slow down and notice where this is coming from. So, so just to, to, for people that are in that space, give yourself a little grace. Give yourself a little compassion. Time is not running out. Time is, it's, it's such an interesting thing because if, if you had a big mission in the world and you were executing that mission from a desert island that had no internet access and you couldn't look at anybody else, you would think you were doing just fine. Until you start comparing yourself to everybody else and then all of a sudden, you're supposed to be on their timeline. But I don't do anything else they do. I don't kiss their wife. I don't eat their breakfast. I don't parent their kids. Why should my life look like their life? Why should it unfold in the same way their life has unfolded? So, so this kind of, this, this surrender of what I think it's supposed to look like uh, is the first step. And the second step is just to, re- to, just to realize, just to recognize when I may be taking something even 5%, 5% too seriously. And I ask myself this question all the time. Like when I really get caught up in my own stuff, because it happens all the time still, yeah. I get caught up and I go, is there any chance that I'm taking this thing too seriously? Any chance in the world? Like even a 1% chance that I'm taking this too seriously. And I have yet to ask myself that question where the answer was no. The answer is always yes. I'm always taking it too seriously. So, so when I can really get into that mode where I have compassion for myself for whatever it is that I'm putting myself through, and I, and I really have this level of, of surrender and patience for the process, then I bring a more peaceful energy to whatever it is I'm creating, and then I'm much more effective. Wow, what incredible insight. What a blessing, man. You have just been a wellspring of, of, uh, (laughs) I'm just going to mute Noel for a moment here. (laughs) Speaking of not taking ourselves too seriously (laughs) over the past couple of days, technology has been real wonky donkey for us. So we'll, we'll see if there's an echo. If there, if there, maybe Noel, shoot me the questions just in case there is, and then I'll rapid fire them for us. But, um, but yeah, Anyways, thank you so much for sharing that. You're, I, I think you've really given people a gift of hope and relief mm. and confidence that they can really move forward more brilliantly from where they are now, just feeling more peaceful with themselves, with their thoughts. You've given some amazing strategies. Again, go check out the book, Prison Break. We're going to give Noelle a chance here to see if we're echoing. And if not, then I'm going to Go for it, Noel. Let's see. Hello. Oh yeah, you're echoey. <laughs> oh no. Okay, that's okay. I've got you. I've got you. Okay. I'm part of our wait, show. Wait, wait, hold on, if Charlene. I want you to ask the questions, but 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 Noel, I want you to move your mouth <laughs> while she's doing it, so that I can pretend. Okay, okay ready? You're the one asking me the questions. Let's do it. You ready? <laughs> yes. Chocolate or vanilla? Uh, oh, chocolate, hands down, easy. Yeah. What's your favorite food? Uh, oh, I, oh, man, that's so tough. Um, I love really good dim sum. What? Oh, I love dim sum. Yum. I haven't been for that forever. What's your favorite dessert? Ooh, um, okay. Oh man, I really, I love like a really good rich chocolate cake, like re- like layers of like fudge and chocolate and all. Yeah super, super decadent chocolate cake. I love this. I love this. What's the first thing you notice about someone when you meet them? Ooh, 
um, how good of a hugger they are uh, if, if they hug me uh, and, and their smile. That's perfect. Oh, I love that. So COVID must have really hurt. <laughs> um, luckily, I had my community, my pod, and we were still just as touchy and huggy as ever. Yeah. Uh, so, so it wasn't as bad as, as it could have been. Oh my gosh. I've got a 10 year old and she's like my biggest hugger. So I got my hug therapy through her during that. Oh, oh, bless her. Um, let's see. Best fashion advice you've ever gotten. Oh, uh, funny. So I have, I, I have a stylist that I, I've worked with and her whole thing was she got me out of, I used to have black glasses and she said the black glasses, like the black frames, they, they like hit, they hid my face. Like they blocked people from like really seeing my face. So she put me in clear glasses. So that was, that was a fairly recent, uh, a, over a year ago, I guess, but a fairly recent uh, piece of fashion advice. Oh, I like that one. That's really good. She's good. All right. What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? Ooh. I think it's, it really is, it goes back to kind of my mission in general, but just anytime somebody would tell me that they feel more joyful being around me, that's like, there's nothing better than that. Oh, how, how can somebody not feel more joyful around you? You're just a, you're like a joy bomb. All right. <laughs> you are. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, okay. Finally. I've got, what's your favorite TV show? But I'm going to actually slash that with, what's your favorite TV show or what's your favorite book, depending on which medium you prefer? Okay, I'm a big TV watcher. So this is actually, I, this is this is probably the hardest question you, you could ever ask me. <laughs> uh, there, I mean, there've been so, like, I'm really a TV person. I, I've, I was raised on television. I love entertainment. It's one of the reasons I love coaching celebrities and people who are in entertainment because I feel like I'm contributing back to something that's given me so much. Um, I mean, I was a huge Lost fan. Uh, I was a huge fan of The Office uh, and 30 Rock. Oh God, there's, there's just too many to pick from. But yeah, there's right now I'm going to say this and my spiritual guru card is going to get pulled and ripped to shreds. <laughs> I am obsessed with the newest season of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and I am fine with <laughs> it. I, I love it. I think it's amazing. I think it's an incredible lesson in human psychology and behavioral psychology. <laughs> just fun to watch. So judgment be damned. I love the card. <laughs> watch it that's awesome i love i love the radical honesty here yes. even if i'm echoing i just feel like we became soulmates so i needed to unmute and say yay i love keeping up with the kardashians it's so good i watched the new season and i was like well i need to know how we got here so i went back and i was like there's 20 seasons so i went back and i started watching season one and they had like the streaky blonde things and they had like the juicy sweatpants i'm like i can't do this so then i decided to see like when does kanye come into the mix which is like around season 10 i'm like all right i'll start at season 10 because the inner my inner rapper i was like that feels justified to start there I only started watching it this season too, but they're actually really interesting business people. So they've had a lot of businesses, <laughs> tons of businesses. They're really, they're actually very smart, very disciplined, very hardworking. So I was pleasantly surprised by what I found by watching that show. I feel the same way. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, now that Noel's back, this is awesome. Uh, <laughs> final, final thoughts before we wrap up today. From me or from Noel? From you. Oh, for me. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> and then Noel. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, um, I guess the thing that's present for me right now is, uh, is something I just shared with a client before we jumped on here. And so uh, maybe that's why it's so present, but 
just as, as one additional kind of check-in for people, because we've been talking about like, you know, recognizing your thoughts and when you're getting caught up in them and how do you jump in between and what do you do with it when you recognize that. And, and one of the things I realized was that anything that I make the center of my universe, the center of my world, I am going to use all of my energy to try to protect it from failing or falling apart, right? So if I make my business the center of my universe, all of my energy goes to making sure it doesn't fail or fall apart. Now, now part of your head may say, oh no, I'm putting all of my energy in it to build it, but you're really also on the flip side, want to make sure it doesn't fail, right? So energetically, it all happens that way. It could be your health. It could be your relationship. It could be your parenting. Anything you make the center of your universe, you are going to use all of your energy to protect it from failing or falling apart. And so when you start noticing yourself feeling stressed, like we were talking about earlier, the little you know dashed light on the car starts blinking, ask yourself that question. What am I making the center of my universe right now? Right. To get some recognition of that. And you'll notice it's, it's my job. It's my business. It's my, whatever, like just really notice that. And then ask yourself, what would it look like right now? If my own experience of peace and ease was the center of my universe, what if that was the only thing that mattered? And I shared this on, on a, a leadership mastermind not too long ago. And there was a woman who raised her hand and said, okay, so I make my own peace and ease the center of my universe. And then my kids don't get fed. My work doesn't get done. My clients all fire me. And I said, maybe that's one possibility. But I know for me that if there is somebody counting on me for food or for work or for anything, and I'm not living into my agreements, I don't feel a sense of peace and ease. That doesn't contribute to my peace and ease. So making your own peace and ease the center of your universe doesn't mean you absolve yourself of all responsibility. In fact, it allows you to really lean into that responsibility because you want to keep your sense of peace and ease. So anybody that's stressing with anything, really check in with yourself. What am I making the center of my universe? And what would it look like if I made my own peace and ease the center of my universe for the next five minutes? Very, very powerful. It reminded me, we ran an event once for a chiropractor, Dr. Franson, and he, uh, he said that he did like a big, you know, development practice with his wife and, uh, and they were like goal setting and her goals, she had three, they had to come up with three goals and her goals were peace of mind, peace of mind, peace of mind, because really everything she was working towards, it was so she could achieve her peace of mind, not having to worry about this, that, the other thing. And I thought that was really powerful, you know, because whenever we're, we goal set, it's like, we kind of have these horse blinders on, but if we remove them, kind of open up to our ultimate goal, our ultimate goal. I really like what you're saying about the peace and ease. It's like, how can I achieve that? Instead of thinking like, how can I achieve more money or how can I achieve more status or how, because really you have to go the seven layers deep, right? The seven layers of why, like, why do you want more money? Why do you want more business? Why do you want more, I don't know, fame and fortune, right? So I love that peace and ease and that that's going to stick with our listeners. I'm sure. Awesome. So happy to hear that. Well, we're going to leave it right there, folks. You want to hear more, reach out to Jason directly, go get his book. And thank you all for joining us today. Come back next week, like us on all socials and let us know what inspired you most about today, because we want to share it forward with Jason. We wish you so much love, so much luck, so much light. And remember, we're stronger together. We go further faster. Let's be revolutionary friends. Take care.
Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Become Revolutionary Show. If you're enjoying what you've heard, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode of the Become Revolutionary Show.